Most people know Tom Hagwood because he won three straight events in Fort Worth, including the Mustang Million. But what many people may not know about Tom is how he came to his first BLM Mustang. It was out of necessity. 2009, I went to Ontario, Oregon, and I adopted a Mustang. We had day work up on the mountain, but I, I didn't have any horses to start or train. And normally I would take a training horse and go to the mountain. Well, I, I went and I adopted a four-year-old uh, buckskin, and I, I adopted him for 125 bucks. And I told my wife, I said, well, what the heck? Uh, he'll keep my feet off the ground. And I can go to the mountain and, you know, make $125 a day day work. I took him home and started him. And his 13th ride, he went to the mountain and he started making a living. And I rode that horse every day in the Oahe Mountains for seven months straight. Oh he, he just made a fantastic horse. Hi, I'm John Hare. Thanks for finding the Woe Podcast about horses and horsemanship, the safe place to be horse crazy. Some of you might know that I tried my hand at starting a wild horse in 2015. Yeah, I'm a little late coming to the party. But starting a wild horse puts your skills to the test. You also quickly discover how little you know. I asked a lot of trainers a whole lot of questions, trying to cram in as much learning as I could. My friend Jeremy Dunn recommended I check out Tom Hagwood and the videos posted of him to see what a true horseman can accomplish in just 120 days with a wild horse. Well, I was hooked. I messaged Tom, who is a busy rancher and trainer in Wyoming, and after making a pest of myself, got him on the phone to talk about horses. It's pretty cool. He gives the secret to his signature turnaround, and he talks about his keys to success in training for a Mustang competition. Almost makes me want to do it again. Get ready for some good horse stuff. Here's Tom Hagwood on the Woe Podcast. Am I correct to understand that you were a back-to-back -back champion You twice in Fort Worth? And yes. Um, the the event in Fort Worth, the, the main event for the Mustang Makeovers is held in September in Fort Worth. Now, it it has gone under several different names. Uh, when I first started showing in 2010, it was called the Supreme Extreme. Mustang makeover. It had a hundred thousand dollars up, fifty thousand to the winner, uh -huh. and that was 2010, 2011, and 2012. 2013, they had the Mustang Million, and uh, it received its name because it had a million dollars in cash and prizes, and that was the only year they had it, 2013. And do you remember how many people had were in that? Uh, they adopted out 560 head of horses, 562, I do believe. And um, out of the 562 head of horses, there were a little over 200 in my division, which is called the Legends Division. So there's the Mustang Million of 2013, and then 2014 and 2015 and 2016, they were all called Extreme Mustang Makeovers. And I went back in 2014 and 2015 and won it. And uh, I'm the only guy that's ever won Fort Worth twice, much less three times. And, and so I'm a, I'm a three-peat champion of Fort Worth, I guess you would say. So, yeah, I, I'm the only guy that's gotten that done. Um, the second two years, those were all computer draw horses, too. 2014 and 2015, those were assigned horses. We didn't get to 
purchase them uh, like we did for the Mustang Million. Wow. Well, that's yeah. pretty, that's quite a, uh, an impressive feat, Tom. Oh, thank you. In, in kind of researching your background, about all I found was your work with Mustang. Could you give me a little bit idea of your background and influences? I mean, are you mm-hmm. basically a rancher or a cowboy? Where did you get your start? Yeah. You know, I, I've just grown up a cowboy, and uh, I, I consider Nevada and Wyoming my home. I bounced around a lot as as a young man, and I worked on ranches all over the country. And uh, But uh, I lived a lot of years in Nevada and learned a lot And uh, when I was living in Nevada. Well, I was cowboying on them ranches, and so... We would start the older horses. Uh, we wouldn't start a horse until we're about five. So, mm-hmm. um, and and they were basically just like your wild horse. And now the way we started them was basically rough and tumble. Uh, but I learned a lot. I learned a lot, and I learned a lot from a guy named Merv Takis. And now he's in the Buckaroo Hall of Fame, isn't he? Yes, yeah. yes, he is. Right. And uh, they just inducted him, I do believe. But, wow. Uh, yeah, Merv, Merv was tough as nails. So I had named my Mustang Million horse Merv after Merv <laughs> no. Takis. And, and, and in large part, I started him like we did those old Spanish ranch horses. You know, I did a little refinement on how we go about it. But those those old Mustangs, a lot of them are, are old school cowboy horses. And uh, and. So that we uh, we kind of approach them as such and, and uh, get our hands on them, and then they come right around. Uh, so I, I credit Merv Takis with a lot of the things that I've learned. Uh-huh. Uh, also, a, a good friend of mine, Nellis, uh, he's in uh, Cape Creek, Arizona, <clears throat> and uh, he's a tremendous hand. And uh, uh, I have to credit him. I, but there's a, a lot of cowboys along the way that have, taught little things and uh, uh, helped me along. And a lot of them, a lot of them aren't here with us anymore. But every time I rode into that show pen, uh, every one of them guys were riding with me. So it, it's cool. neat. I've learned a lot from a lot of a lot of great horsemen and cowboys. And what is it like for the Mustang the first three days there with Tom Hagwood? We we go right at them. First day off the truck, whether, whether I hang a halter on them at the BLM facility. Sometimes I'll do that. And I'll even put a drag rope on mm-hmm. and unload them straight into the round pin. Or uh, I'll just rope them and put a halter on them. But the first day, those horses are getting caught and taught to lead. And uh, that's day one. And day two, we begin with a lot of preparation. And, you know, I work on my horseback and I work with a flag. And I want I want to work on these horses. Their escape is there. They have uh, a lot of send. Uh, they'll either send or they'll fight, one of the two. And uh, it's a balancing act. Uh, I want that horse to use himself to the point to where I can uh, I can build confidence in that horse, touching him with that flag. But I don't want to pick on him with that flag. Right. The fight and flight instinct is in every horse, but it is deeply ingrained in these old Mustangs. And a person needs to be uh, 
uh, little, you need to pay attention to what you're doing. You, or you don't want to get these horses to where they're rather turn and fight and strike the flag as opposed to leave. You know, that's what we go through and we kind of assess those horses that first day and, and, uh, that second day and we're assessing these horses and, and, uh, I've had quite a few of them I could get on the ground to foot with and, and build that confidence. You know, it really changes when you step off your saddle horse and on the ground. Yeah, the saddle horse, that horse is way more comfortable with, and I'll be touching them all over with my hands mm-hmm. and uh, and teaching that horse how to release his hip and how to give. And uh, I never take a straight-on pull on a horse. I'm always off to the side. I get them mixed-out horses given to the saddle horn before they're ever tied up because they can they can hurt themselves tied solid. Right. And then I, I transfer that from my saddle horse to the ground. At this point, I'm going to see just how much escape this horse has any. And if this horse uh, really has a lot of uh, uh, flight, then I'm going to take that flight away from him. And I actually, I use, uh, <clears throat> this is where the old Spanish ranch comes in, use a set of play hops. But I will take that flight away from him at that point and get my hands on him. And it might take two or three hours in the hobbles, and then they'll begin to melt. And and at that point, I'm doing everything else. I'm brushing on them, loving on them, petting on them. And I just take that flight away from him. But I leave them standing. And is it hard to get those hobbles on? Is it a... Yes, it's a... It's a real trick to it. Yes, you want to know what you're doing. Uh, right. You 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 can get your head kicked off. You can get seriously hurt. So, yeah. Are they front hobbles? One front leg and two back. And then they have two, one front leg to stand on. And the rope runs through a set of rings like a pulley system. And then they're tied off solid. And the horse understands how to kill these legs, too. So, because you can seriously hurt a horse. You want to be careful. You want to pay attention to what you're doing. And then you take that flight, you, you get to the point where you tucked off solid. The three legs are basically the horse can, is standing almost square, maybe not per square. Uh-huh. Uh, and then he'll have generally his right front foot to help support and balance. And I've actually taken horses that we'd start it in the mornings and run through the hobbles. And, and I've been able to pick up their feet by mid-morning and i've had i've been able to nail a set of shoes on them and actually take an unhauled broke horse and chewing saddling and riding that day wow it, it can be done but uh oh, you're just not going to jump out there and just do it <laughs> it's gonna <laughs> you need to get around somebody that is has done this you know and those old timers um like merv yeah, you know, nowadays uh, there's a lot of natural horsemanship, and this is all good. This is all fine, and it works really well on the on these younger horses. And uh, but when you get into these older style horses, sometimes it's not what you need. Sometimes you got to go a little old school. Now, when I say old school, a lot of people are looking at me and they're raising their eyebrow. They are thinking abusive old school. Bronc riders, bronc peelers, that type of thing. 
I'm talking about the true old-time horsemen. And the true old-time horsemen, the old vaqueros and the old cowboys of Nevada, they made their living with the horse. They relied on that horse, and they respected that animal. There's the difference right there. And those guys were true horsemen. They just did it a little different way than than uh, Mr. Hunt and Tom Dorrance did. You take the flight out of them by using the hobbles and then loving them all over, so they get pretty calm. Then what's the next step? By that time, I've I've got a saddle on them, and I've got a snaffle bit on them. I've crawled all over them, all around them, mm-hmm. brushed out their mane and tail, probably even braided it because they lay both sides of the neck. Uh-huh. And we've cleaned those horses up completely. And by crawling all around these horses and everything, they, they get a lot of trust. They build a lot of respect for me, too. You know, they by this time, I've taken their flight and, and their fight basically away from them. I'm head honcho. I'm the lead mare at this point. <laughs> and then I, I, I'm stepping on and off and across them. I swing a rope. I introduce them to a tart without scaring them. Now that takes, that just takes feel. That just takes common sense to approach a horse. Mm-hmm. Even when that horse is restrained, you could wade into him like you're killing snakes, I suppose, but that's not the right thing for the horse. So everything's about introducing. And now you have the horse, he's prepared. He, and he's hobble trained. And if this horse ever gets tangled up in anything, Nine times out of ten, he's going to stand there and let you take his legs out of it. So if he's ever tangled in a fence or in wire or up in a rope, you, he's probably going to stop and stand still and wait wait for you. So there's the value of a well-hobble-trained horse. Yes. Now, next thing, you've taken the flight away. You need to bring that back. You need to, to uh, be able to put this horse in motion. And so I get back on my saddle horse. And I'll have, a, you know, a 15-foot lead shank or maybe more. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll take my flag. And basically, we go to the arena. And and I'm not leading this horse so much as I'm off to the corner and I'm driving him around me. And I just free that horse up really well. Free him up really well and get him on both sides of my help horse and have him walk, trot, lope. And at this point, they're also learning a lot of, you know, big stout five-year-olds learning a lot about respect to the halter. Right. Because he's going to run out there and bounce off the end of that rope quite a few times. And then he's going to find it. He's going to find where the end of that is. They tend to mother up to that saddle horse pretty good. At this point, depending on how tough the horse is, we teach these horses how to be snubbed, how to be snubbed close. Uh, that's really important. A lot of people get in trouble with snubbing horses. So their horse isn't taught to snub like six to 12 inches away from the saddle. Right. And what a guy wants to do then is you, you get up there and you get to where you can dally up short. And that horse is basically his head is in the snubbing man's lap. You've taken much. all the leverage away there. Then, right? right. And then you, you don't ever ride straight off because them horses will set back. And when they set back, then they're going to go forward. And that's when they jump into the saddle with the snubbing horse guy. Uh-huh. And that causes a wreck. 
you don't ever ride straight off. Now, by this time, I've got this horse to where he knows how to disengage his hip so I can back my help horse around and disengage his hip from left to right. Uh-huh. Or I can ride around in front of him and, and move his shoulders uh, to the right. And so I can walk him in circles. And as soon as he's good about this, well, he's already been prepared to get on and off. My wife will take over the snubbing horse and I'll step into the stirrup. And I, basically I approach it as to let's see how much we can get done today. Right. When I'm at this point, I'm, I'm let's see where we can get to this day. And so I get up into the V between my help horse and my, my Mustang. And I began to tow my stirrup, I pet my horse, I get him to where he's standing, and he's, he's good with me beside him again. And I began to step up and down in the stirrup and rub my, my right leg over his hip and this type of thing. Now, he's standing at this point, and then I'm laying across the saddle. I've got my left toe in the stirrup, and I'll ask my wife to go ahead and untrack him. And at this point, She'll either ride around the nose of the horse or she'll she'll back her bridle horse into mine and disengage his hip. We actually get their feet moving before we get on. This is because if there is a big blow-up, like, a, you know, I'll hang in there pretty tough for a long time. Right. But if there's a big blow-up and he's going to jump on top of the snubbing horse, I'm going to step away. I'm going to step away. We're going to start again. And, uh, and see if we can't get this horse a little better. But if he's accepting and he's moving his feet, my wife will begin to move us around the corral. I'll begin again to rub my foot over his hip. All of this has been done, like, you know, the day before when we ran him through the hobbles. All this has been right. done. And, uh, and then I'll just simply slide into the saddle. At this point, Ariane has full control over the Mustang. She'll have full control over that horse. And, and okay. uh, then, you know, we'll, we'll let him out on a little bit of rope. And as soon as that horse feels pretty good, I can move my feet around. We've got the, the jump and the spook and the scare out of him. She'll reach down and unsnap the lead rope and away I go on my own. So we do have a halt to the snaffle bit when we're ponying these horses, first rider, whatever, whatever it right. takes her horse we do that and then we get them horses started up so it the best thing to do is to keep those ever scared Uh, they'll learn a bad habit in an instant um you know especially when their flight is involved and it gets way too out of control you know these horses aren't they'll get scared enough they'll go through or over a fence so the best thing to do is keep that horse from ever getting scared and if you can keep that from happening, you're going to advance a lot better. You're going to see an improvement in your horse, and you're going to see the confidence. He's going to say, you know, this really isn't too bad. And from that point, we ride them. I call it you get ahead of them and you stay ahead of them. On these five-year-olds and six-year-olds that we're starting, mm-hmm. you need to ride them like the old-timers rode them. Nowadays, in a lot of training programs, guys are going through a ton of horses a day. So, yeah, the younger horse, the softer start, the little 30-minute ride, that's great. They can get through a ton of horses each day. But uh, what you need to do with these older horses is you're going to live with them. 
everybody asks me, how hours a day do you ride your horse? And I tell them, well, I don't wear a watch. And, uh, and I don't. But I'm with them all day long. You know, you ride them like the old timers do. And, uh, and they lived with those horses. Now, I'm not saying I lope circles for hours on end. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not about killing a horse off. But you're with them. You're on them. You're around them. Uh, you're braiding their mane. They're in and out. They're tied up, and they're giving feet. That's another thing. These Mustangs, a lot of times, are not in the best condition when you get them. You have to take those horses every chance they're standing tied to a post or you've led them to water, there's a bucket of feed in front of them. You're on a ranch in Wyoming, so you take them out on the ranch, right? Yeah. You know, once once them horses are, are hot or broke and easy to catch and that type of thing, but most of the time, mm-hmm. um, they're not ready to be turned out with the cavity until, oh, you know, <clears throat> a month might be very quick, two months, depending on the okay. horse. But, as long as they get to where uh, my cavity comes up to the barn each morning and then I, I grain them all in the troughs and then I can go around and catch the ones I want or I can just catch everything and grain them, tie them up and grain them. So once those horses are good, well started on grain, that really helps. And uh, then they get into the routine of the, being a normal saddle horse, getting turned out on pasture and we're fortunate here on the ranch. We can graze horses eight, nine months out of the year. Oh, so we're, we're fortunate. That cheapens up our feed costs quite a bit. Yes. <laughs> that's how we go about it. That's pretty. That's pretty neat deal. And, and it sounds like the saddle horses, the saddle horse and the, the hobbles are an essential part of that deal. Uh, it is for me. Uh, I'm, I'm old school and I'm basic. And I mean, I, I've learned a lot from from these new guys and i've i've really studied it and it works well for the two-year-olds and and the three-year-olds and 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 just that nice soft preparation and then boy you know we could we could get on them first second saddle and be riding them you know those are colts that have had some handling and they've got some breeding but for them older horses you just you just nip so much in the bud right away because uh you know you you just take their flight away from them then they're they're at your mercy and then you just show them you know hey we're going to get along we're just going to scratch on you and be your buddy and you'll see right. these horses melt right. my mustang million horse merv he actually uh-huh. spent about six hours in the hobbles and a friend of mine came by and we were in mud halfway to our knee it had snowed and we were in you know as late may <laughs> we still get snow Right. So I'm out there starting this colt, and the neighbor came by, and he wanted to see my Mustang. And I was down there with my arm draped over his neck, and I felt that horse let down. He went from shaking and being scared, and he just let down. And Rusty saw it at the same time I did, and I said, you see, he just let down. He said, yeah, I see that. He came out of the hobbles, unsaddled him, took him out of the hobbles, and pet him, brushed him, and put him away. And the next day we started riding and he went from there and really, well, uh, obviously did very well. It sounds like you felt the, you felt the switch go yeah, right there. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what you look for too. So if it doesn't happen today, just go ahead and 
you're just playing with their feet anyways. Just go ahead and run them through the hobbles the next day and then the next day. One of those days, you'll feel that horse let down. But then you've got to untrack those horses and make sure they're freed up really well. That's a real key to that. You start them in the in the snaffle, then when do you do you switch over to the hack? Or? You know, I have a system. I've been if you if you look, I've rode all all three of my champions have been in the two rain by the time I show them in uh-huh. Fort Worth. Well, that's 120 days. When I do a clinic, people are wanting to know how I'm getting a horse in a bridle that quickly. Yeah. I, I, I get my horse in the snaffle bit, and of course, you need your lateral control. You need your lateral, you need to be able to bend his neck around and step his hip around and then begin to move his shoulders one foot at a time. And that bend is necessary. Too many people are riding them like a colt for too long. In other words, once that horse understands this and understands foot placement, you can begin to ride that horse straighter and start straightening that horse out. Now, you can always go back to your bend if necessary, but you need to come back to straighten that horse out. I ride my snaffle bit horses like I ride my hackamore horses, like I ride my two-rein horse, like I ride my bridle horse. I'm always encouraging. Once I've got that that bend, I, I can bend him around and push him up into the bit and everything like that. And once he understands that, I'm not going to continue to uh, keep his neck bent. Basically, on a horse, you know, there's approximately 65% of his weight is on his front end and, you know, 35 is on his back end. We, we've all heard this. And uh, and actually, from his withers forward, his neck and his head, that's 35% of his weight. So when you have him bent too far to the left or too far to the right, you're loading up that inside front foot. You know, it's like planting the post in the ground and he's got to run around it. Right. There's ways around that from getting wrong. I do I do a lot of stuff just like that. But uh in order to teach him foot placement, what happens here is is too many people for too long leave these horses they're they're keeping too much bend on them. They're not teaching these horses how to straighten up. I'm guilty of that, I have to say. Yeah, well, you know, heck, now this is what's worked for me. Let me ask you this just before we go further. Uh, When you switched from, you went from the snaffle to the bozelle, and then you you put a bit in their mouth on on your three horses that you used for the Mustang, did you use the same bit in all three horses? You know, uh, that's a great question. When I showed them, I used the same bit, and it's a half-read bit. And when I originally bridled them up, I used when they first packed their first bridle bit. It's a it's a spade bit. It's an old spade bit that I purchased at JM Capriola, Elko, Nevada, and it's got a real sweet mouth and it's got a big, large, wide spoon. Now, mind you, this horse is not being picked up or pulled on by this spade. He's only packing it. I'm riding him in the two ring by this point. Right. But this spade bit has old sweet steel in it, and those horses absolutely began to drool. And I mean, every horse I put this bit in, they drool. Well, uh, their mouth is watering so much that they begin to suck on it, and they learn how to pick up a bit. And that is the key huh. to bridling these horses, is getting them to pick up that bridle. That sweet steel tends to be a bit softer 
between the, the soft sweet steel and the copper, it actually uh, has uh, like electrolysis or something that makes their mouth go to the water. water and, and so, you know, between the combination of the two irons uh, really gets them to salivate. And so a good spade bit will will do that to a horse and you'll see them drooling. And that's that's a good indication right there that you got a nice bit. The spade is there, you know, not only is it for the signal for the horse to understand, but it's there to teach that horse to pick that bridle up. I've had horses in the two rein as quick as 38 days. That's unheard of. But you've, you've got to understand the process. First off, I've been on them every day, all day long, been on them, around them, and playing with them on the ground, up on top of them, playing with them. And so for 38 days, my, you know, 30 to my days would probably be about like 120 days. <laughs> right, exactly. So, yeah. you know, I've spent a lot of time with the horse, uh, and that would be my only horse I'm riding to. You know, I'll start out in the morning with my snaffle bit on, and I'll be doing my deep work, whether I'm tracking lead steer, working on uh, setting him up for a lead change, uh, loping my circles uh, involved uh, counter canter and come back in, and then working on my stops and my turnarounds, uh, work the flag, work the cow, what have you, go through my trail course, and then now my horse understands trail course, opening gates, playing with the cow. Then I put the hackamore on them, and the hackamore is extremely important and extremely sacred. I put the hackamore on them almost just to cool them out, just to relax them in, and I'll begin just slowly working, and I'll slowly work. Like whatever I have him doing, whatever level he's at in the snaffle bit, do 50% of that in the hackamore, Hmm. and I'll build on that turnaround, and I'll build on that stop, and I'll and I'll build on that counter bend and lope in the lope circle, you know, and just as softly as I can. And I won't put my hackamore on them to go help neighbors because, you know, every time you do, you the cattle need to be in the they're coming, and it could be a situation and horse heavy in the hackamore. And you'll have to be picking up on your bridle range quicker than you want to when you go to right. the two range. So treat your hackamore. You know, I start everything in the snaffle bit. And the true Californios, and there's some guys that are really good out there in that California country. And they're only starting them in the hackamore. And then, they're, then they'll eventually two rein them into the bridle. And they're doing a fantastic job. But um, I, I'm getting a lot more done a lot quicker with my snaffle bit and then slowly introducing my hackamore and the whole time that i'm doing this i'm riding doing my heavy work and my snaffle bit i come back and basically cool out in the hackamore and then maybe that evening after supper i go out and catch that horse again saddle him up and i may put put my two rein outfit on him with a bridle bit and maybe just a, a real lightly check him up and just jipping around the round pen, five, 10, 15 minutes. Just let him pack that bit, put him away for the night, you know? But I've already spent all day with him, you see. Then by by straightening those horses out, I'm doing it in the snaffle bit and getting them to where I can ride them one-handed in the snaffle bit. And then once I have my horse riding one-handed in the hackamore, slow and easy, it's just gotta be slow and easy. Maybe maybe even guide around rope in a circle. 
But um, but that's about where I want him in the Hackamore. I can begin doing all that in the two-ring. And I switch headgear, I'm not kidding you, three, four times a day on these horses. Really? Back and forth and back and forth. Yes, I do. Uh, I, I start out with a snaffle, or I may start out with a hackamore. I'll just, each horse tells me what he needs, and, and that's what I'll do. And, and yes, we'll switch headgear three or four times a day because, see, I've got them in the two reins so quick, but you can't just ride them in the two reins. They're way too green. Right, yes. <laughs> so yeah. you, you've got to keep building that foundation. You know, this is what has impressed those judges is that I'm down there riding these horses one-handed. Now, a lot of people see the bridle in my horse's face. They yeah. see that bridle. And, and the first year I did it, well, the second year, they had a bridle in their horse's face. But nobody had a two-ring. Well, the secret is the two-ring. It's not the bridle. Everybody sees that bit, and but they're not seeing that two-ring. So the nice. secret is the two-ring. Also, when you do show a Fort, uh, Fort Worth horse, a Mustang, whether you're showing in an English saddle or whether you're showing in Western gear, legal legal hold of the bridle reins is is, is being watched uh, they look at you if you're riding a set of split reins uh, on a grazer bit they want you one-handed you know you can have the rein split with your index finger uh if you're riding a bit or hackboard you can be two-handed but if you're riding one-handed you if you were in a straight vein in romel they would look at national rain cow horse rules and they would say this is supposed to be closed fist but with the two rein, you can split your bridle reins because you've got your two rein and, and the correct hold on a two rein is you would have your 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 two smallest fingers between your bridle reins and and you'd be picking up and, and that way you've got a that little extra get that inside eye. And so what you're gonna find on all these horses uh, you probably already know this. They have a long side and a short side. They may bend really well to the left, but they would send really well to the right. And so basically they mm -hmm. would be, uh, they'd look really nice and, and bend to your left, but to the right, they might feel a little stiff. Well, getting a horse one-handed, that's where people run into problems. Well, with your two-ring, you simply, you shorten up that Makati on your straight side, on your long side, you help that horse through that turn because you know every horse is this way. They're going to bend and go one way, and it could be left or right. right. But the, so that's where, and that's where you want to get that two rein. You want to get it right. You want to be able to help that horse through that show. And um, so that's that's a real secret. Uh, the two rein. That's the essential part of the of the two rein. Is that. Yep. That, that second rein is there to help yeah, the horse. Yeah, it's there. And so when I'm showing, I can't be reaching down with my free hand and adjusting my reins. So I already know mm -hmm. which side that horse is long on and short on. Uh, and I'll have my Makati adjusted as such. So you'll see uh, in some pictures, you'll see my Makati reins. One side will have slack and the other side will will be tighter, almost crooked. And the reins are crooked, not the rein in Romel. Only the Makati ring. Yeah, and, and that's how you help those horses get through. And the judges, I think, just really appreciate that. They, 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 a lot of people are amazed that we've gotten that done, not just once, not twice, but, but three times. 
And that's probably what helped you in the compulsory moves, right? Yes. And of course, it is judged. You know, we had some really good, and the compulsory is what I really shoot for. It is 10 maneuvers completed in 90 seconds. It's tough to do. Wow. It's really tough to do yeah. on a 120 day horse. But I had my horses where they'd ride through there and they could roll back and and there was no trot outs or anything during the Mustang Million. That's where I, if you watch everyone else's compulsories, say even the guys that were kind of close to me, they they had some trot outs or their their stops uh, were maybe a little stiff in the front or something like that. And Merv went in there and slid, I don't know, 12, 15 feet and cracked back to the right and stopped again and backed right up and and it was smooth it was it was a broke horse and i won that compulsory by 23 and a half points during the mustang million there was some great acts during the mustang million in the freestyle and a lot of guys were better than me in the freestyle but i beat them by so long so far with the compulsory run that they couldn't catch me still wound up winning it by 13 and a half points and the other so. thing is you came to dirt training mustangs um while competing with mustangs when you're like in your 50s or almost 50 what what led you to the mustang what happened is it's a real interesting story and in uh, 2009 i went to ontario oregon we were living in Wahi county uh, southwest idaho <clears throat> and we, we had a camp way out in the brush. It was off the grid. We went to Ontario, Oregon, and I adopted the Mustang. The reason why I did was 2008, that recession hit. People were giving horses away, and it was a terrible deal. We had day work up on the mountain, but I, I didn't have any horses to start or train. And normally, I would take a training horse and go to the mountain. Well, I I went and I adopted a four-year-old uh, buckskin uh, at Ontario, Oregon, mm-hmm. came from Burns facility, and I I adopted him for 125 bucks. And I told my wife, I said, "Well, what the heck? Uh, he'll keep my feet off the ground, and I can go to the mountain and <laughs> you know make 125 dollars a day day working." Right. I took him home and started him, and his 13th ride, he went to the mountain and he started making a living. And I rode that horse every day in the Oahe Mountains. For seven months straight, oh he, he just made a fantastic horse. He never had to nail a shoe on him. He'd work a wow. cow, rope anything. Boy, you couldn't knock him down. Rope bows on him and had them bows run up and under me and, and uh, getting some terrible wrecks. And that horse was great. So riding this horse and getting him to come around pretty good. Dang, if I ain't bridling him pretty quick, you know, got this horse really coming around. Mm -hmm. And a friend of mine, he just recently passed away. His name is Joe Black. And he's kin to all the blacks there in Bruno. And and we we neighbored some of his relatives, uh, Paul and Maddie Black. They lived on the Shoe Fly Creek there, just down the creek from us a mile or so. And... We were all off the grid running on generators and propane. So Joe would stop by and he said, Tom, you need to get in those Mustang makeovers. And I said, oh, heck, Joe, I said, they ain't paying anything. And he says, no, no. He says, they've changed that. You need to go look it up. So my wife and I jumped the pickup and we go to the library in Grandview and look it up. And sure enough, they had their first Supreme Extreme Mustang makeover and it paid 50000 to win it. And, uh, 
I said, well, heck, we ain't doing nothing else but starving. And so <laughs> I sent in my application and I got a horse and we still have that horse. He was a three-strike horse and six-year-old and, wow. and I took him to Fort Worth and and they didn't have the compulsory, didn't carry over. They had the compulsory, but it didn't carry over to the finals. The finals was only a freestyle. And so I wound up tied for second, and a tiebreaker judge moved me to third. But it still paid us 10000 bucks. I was hooked at that point. The following year, made the finals again, uh, but we had moved from Idaho to Wyoming and just didn't have the time in on my horse. So, you know, I made fuel money. But that didn't deter us too bad. 2012, my wife did really well down there. And she was basically riding with one leg. She got hurt really bad. And, and that summer, horse rolled over on her. And, and uh, her left leg wasn't working. And it wound up being a lower back issue. So she was one-legged. And she uh, wound up a reserve champion in what they had then was an idols division. It was kind of... A it was kind of like a non-pro division is how I would equate it. And uh, so she wound up winning a little over 10000 bucks that year and, and rookie of the year. And by doing that, and then we came home, we took that money, we, we bought some cows and we bought some sand for our arena. And, and she had sold a, a mm-hmm. good bridal horse. And, and that helped us. And by doing all that, the following year came around and I, I got Merv. And I used Merv to move my irrigated pipe and take care of my cows and go help the neighbors and, and, and trained on him all summer. And that's, that's all we did. So that really paid off. I think it, I did the math on it one time and it paid me, I think right at 1800 to $2,000 a day to train Merv. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good it's amazing how one thing leads yeah. to another and then you yeah, end up like yeah, that huh? yeah so that's, that's so between cool. my ranching background and then you know i went to shoeing horses and riding colts for the public and then i went to show showing rain cow mm-hmm. horses and I, I got a lot of show experience that way so between the ranching background mm-hmm. and understanding how to handle them older rougher horses and then uh, the finesse that I gained through showing and training rainers and rain cow horses, and it all came around to the perfect storm, I guess. It all came together it at did. the right time. It really did. And so just fortunate, fortunate to live the life I've lived. Not too many people can say they were a, a, a roaming, drifting cowboy. And, you know, I worked in uh, right. five or six different states just drifting from ranch to ranch and learn how to handle them horses and learned how to shoe horses and got tired of the ranches and went to work for myself and, and training horses and riding colts. I think it says a lot about these horses too, because I've talked to a couple of people who have participated in Mustang makeovers and, or just Mustang events. I participated in one myself but it seems like there's a, a real attraction to do it again. It's almost like a Lay's potato chip. You just yeah. can't have one. You know, yeah. once, and, and maybe it's the mistakes you make on the first one that you want to see if you can avoid on the second one and then maybe avoid a few more on the third one. But it, it almost is yeah. these horses are, are addicting. Yeah. Yep, you said it there. Um, it's cool. They take a trainer. 
these horses are not bred for specifics. You're not going to go out there and, and and just be able to have one that's got a, a huge stop or got a ton of cow or that can go over right. and jump. You're going to have to groom this horse. You're going to have to train him. You're going to have to see what he's capable of and, and bring the cream to the yeah. top. And it, it takes a trainer and, and a well-rounded trainer. Excellent point. You've got the versatility is a must. Where we'd rope on them, and of course we run them through the rocks and through the creeks, and also the trail stuff isn't too big of a deal. Uh, just a matter of a little introduction to wood bridges and what have you, and some consistency. And then the cow work is something I've always done. Mm-hmm. You sh- you show them their strong parts. Uh, you, like a, my wife was riding in on a horse, and first horse she won her first buckle on. It was a Mustang. Mustang actually crossed up and uh, she was riding in it was just a kind of a club show there in nevada but uh it it was a Uh real fun show and and she was riding in the gate and i said sweetheart show them what you got don't show them what you ain't got (laughs) guys cracked up but she went in and she showed it showed the judge what she had and what didn't didn't did not display what she didn't have and uh, wound up the year-end <laughs> champion, and uh, a lot of fun, a lot of All fun. Right. But uh, yes, uh, as far as versatility cool. goes, uh, these old Mustangs will treat you great. There's good and bad. I'm not going to kid you. Not every mm-hmm. Mustang comes out of the crowd is going to be a nice horse. But um, I'm riding one right now that uh, is probably one of the nicest horses I've ever ridden, period. I started him last spring. I just picked him up for myself, and he's a solid bay. Nothing, nothing great. And uh, yeah, he's he, he is really a super nice horse. Will you compete on him? Probably show on him more of a local level, and we'll uh-huh. see. I he is just three and a half, so he's a late three-year-old. Last year was his three-year-old year, and I started him Memorial Day. I call him Soldier. Uh, and he is just now showing me a three-and-a-half-year-old mouth. In other words, his second set of mature incisors are just now coming into wear. Mm. He is, uh, uh, he's in his four-year-old year, so basically he's a full, uh, fall foal. And, um, uh-huh. you know, that happens a lot out there in Mother Nature, out there on that Oregon desert. If that old cheatgrass gets a little bit of rain in the fall and greens up, those mares will all cycle. If they... If they catch in november well, they're going to come around and probably have a september october foal something like that yes. and so <clears throat> uh happens quite often out there on the desert so got soldier he's started he's really nice uh and cali and he's my go-to guy <clears throat> i've been calving cows on him all spring and i can rope about anything on him now so he, he's good to rope on real cali and Lots of stop and turn around and easy, easy to change leads on. As as we kind of wind this thing up here, Tom, and I could talk to you for hours about the different things, but I kind of like to leave my audience with a with a tip or some sort of training thing, although this show is pretty much loaded if you listen to it. But I, I notice that you have kind of a signature turnaround. You, you're able to keep that inside hind leg planted pretty well as you turn that mm-hmm. horse around. Uh, can you give any uh, a tip that might help people accomplish yes. that. Don't worry about that pivot foot. 
the most important foot in a turnaround okay. is the inside front foot. And you want that horse to reach. And you want that horse to be able to reach underneath your stirrup, not out in front. Like if you're looking, say, pretend you're sitting on top of a clock. You want that horse's inside front foot to either reach to the nine or beyond, closer to the eight. Or the, the right front, you would want to reach to the three or even closer to the four. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. Go for that reach. And how do you get them to, to reach for How do you get them to reach for You know, that? I... I mean, if they're not yes. reaching, if if they're reaching to one o'clock instead, how do you get them to move it around without bending them? Yes, around? and because without a lot of a lot of people then just want to crank on their right, neck and right and and without. So what you want to do, and as opposed to cranking on their neck or maybe taking a hold of the face with both mm-hmm. hands and maybe getting them stiff in the bridle, what you want to do is you want to ride the outside of your horse. Now, with that being said, okay, you want to. Be able to tie your horse in a knot. Now we go all the way back to when we first started this goal, and we're putting that lateral control right. and that lateral bend. Okay. Now, mm-hmm. now we're talking foot placement. I will have these horses bent. I mean, their necks will be around there at a ninety. They'll be way bent around, mm-hmm. and and I'll really ride the outside. I'll get to the outside my outside hip bone and my outside leg. And I'm leaving my inside leg completely limp. And I begin to encourage. I am not telling this horse to step that inside foot because I don't want any brace. But I'm sitting out there and I'm taking, like, if I'm turning to the left, I've got my right foot and I'm just tapping and encouraging. The second that horse, now his whole front end is loaded up, right? But the second that horse figures it out, He'll load up his hindquarter and he'll reach with his inside front foot one step. And at that point, I totally relax. I give him his head and I pet him on the neck. And all he has to do is take one step. This can happen day one when you're riding your colt. You begin that turnaround. And that lateral and that kicking that hip and all that, it all builds to what we're going towards. In other words, the one rein stop, the pulling that horse around and saying, whoa, on one rein until he finds his feet. Mm-hmm. Or then you began to use your legs a little. That means something else. So maybe I want this horse to disengage his hip. Maybe I want him to move his forehand. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Yes. That's so a good you sense. tie that horse in a knot. Basically, we keep bringing his nose soft and gentle, soft and gentle. And you've got that lateral bend. And you bring him around there, you might have his nose dang there around here to your knee. And you keep encouraging. But the very, very instant that horse lifts that 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 front foot up and places it. In other words, in order to do that, he has to rock himself back and load his hindquarter to do that. And as soon as he does that, you release. And it won't I guarantee you, if if you can figure this out and I guarantee you, in, in five days or less, you will have your horse, when you pick up that rein and lean to the outside, you will have that horse walking a full turnaround. Correct. Good. I'm going to give that a try. It, it does work, but timing yeah. is crucial. I have a tough time teaching that to people. 
but they have to get out there and they have to be patient. You have to be real aware of your body and where you're at. Melt right. your inside thigh. I don't want any resistance on the inside thigh. And you want to step down harder in your outside stirrup if anything. Okay. And, and I mean, exaggerate it. Exaggerate it. Show the source. You know, you you don't have to always exaggerate it, though. That's like we go back to the cold starting process where people were continually starting their cold every day. They're, they're always bending it. Well, pretty quick, right. this cult's got all this bend that I'm just telling you about. And pretty quick, by mm-hmm. me riding the outside of him, he straightens himself out. He straightens himself out, and it, it's a soft straight. It's a real soft straight, so you're not getting them loping around, jumping around in the front end. They're not agitated or scared or bracing up. And uh, and you can always go back to that, and you can always soften and supple them horses and, and soften their mind. And uh, and that's how you're going to keep the brace up. This has been a, a heck of a lot of fun talking to you, Tom. You bet. I learned a lot. And, and plus, uh, I watched a lot of your videos and uh, and enjoy watching Tommy Jean. I can imagine she's going to be one heck of a horsewoman <laughs> she, when she grows she, up. Oh, she already is yeah, for crying out loud. I know. Yeah, yeah. She, she's heading totally <laughs> I, I have to say I'm yeah, jealous. Yeah, I'm jealous of her too. <laughs> I, I wished I were Tommy Jean. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's pretty incredible kid. So we're very fortunate to have this ranch and homeschool and she stays right here and she rides her horse every day and and uh, so we're we're really fortunate. If people want to find out more about uh, Tom Hagwood, where shall we send them? You know, we've we've got a Facebook page, and then uh, okay. we we've also have a Hagwood performance page, and it's got our phone number on it and our contact information and that type of thing. Are you going to be doing any more clinics? Uh, last year you did one with Craig Johnson. Yeah. Are you, do you have any plan for this year? Yes, uh, they're putting a, together another clinic in Texas. Um, and it looks like it's going to be the middle of October. Uh, and that'll be a fun time to go to a clinic. Uh, Snap a bit dirty will be going on. Uh, it, it moved to Fort Worth, Texas. And uh, so that'll be the first year of it. We'll be able to watch a little bit of the National Ring Cow Horse, their main Snap a bit dirty. We'll also do a clinic. It'll involve uh, uh, Rancher Open a little bit, a little bit of cow work, mm-hmm. that type of thing, and, and bridling these horses, uh, how I'm doing it. So, People have been real interested in it. Um, you you talk to uh, you real hardcore guys, and uh, they don't understand. You know, they 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 think I'm cheating. They think maybe I'm doing something incorrect because <laughs> it's it's sped up. It truly is. But I compare it to uh, uh-huh. in the old days riding them ranch horses. Uh, we'll say in a perfect world, you had six head of horses in your string, and you traded at noon. So that means your horse got rode twice a week, 52 weeks. That horse got rode 110 times a year. Uh, uh-huh. My, my horse is 110 times a year. And they say it takes two years before you can get a horse, you know, uh, in the bridle, uh, right. two years anyways, before you can get a horse in the bridle. Well, if, if you break down and you look at my program in 120 days time, you know, I'm probably got, 240 50 rides on them horses you've got the equivalent i've, I've of got the equivalent there. yes and the, you know so it works it does it works for me but anyways you bet john is great talking to you and thanks a bunch for the call and uh 
yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not heavily promoted. We just kind of stay out here on the ranch and, and uh, do our thing. <laughs> Thanks, John. I appreciate it. Thanks for the call, man. Holy cats, there's some good horse training advice right there. I really hated for our conversation to end. Thanks to Tom Hagwood for being on the show. You can find him on Facebook under Tom Hagwood Performance Horses. There are a lot of videos of him on YouTube. Take a look. I know you will be impressed. I'll have all the links in our show notes at wopodcast.com where you can find even more episodes about more good horse stuff. You'll also find a link to our humble little YouTube channel that chronicles our life with horses, dogs, cats, cows, and travel. Some are helpful. Some you'll only smile and shake your head. I'm not responsible. (laughs) Yes, I am. If you have a comment or a suggestion, email me at john at woepodcast.com. Subscribe to the Woe Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, and you'll never miss an episode. Take us along when you ride or have chores to do. Woe Podcast is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yeah, we're everywhere. Wait, what's that? Oh, it's just another place you'll find the Woe Podcast. Need more? You can join our mailing list at wopodcast.com. Every Friday, I'll send you a quick tip, something you can do to build a better relationship with your horse with just a few minutes practice. And good news, Renee has retired from her grown-up job, and now we hope to enjoy our horses even more together, and maybe I can get her back to a regular hosting spot on the show. Thanks again for listening to the show and sharing this podcast with your friends. We've really grown in the last two months, and we know we owe it all to you. So until next time, for Renee, this is John Hare saying, go have some fun with your horses. Bye-bye, everybody.